of airtime, you good programs to serve their communities. Radio is better than ever in targeting an audience that listens to what you say. Learn more about this exciting radio broadcasting opportunity by calling WNZK Radio at 248-557-3500. This is WNZK, Dearborn Heights, Detroit. Your ethnic superstation at 690 days, 680 nights. U.S. Arab Radio Network presents Season 3 of the Ray Hanania Radio Show, sponsored by Arab News, the leading English-language newspaper in the Middle East. Each Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, veteran journalist Ray Hanania explores issues facing Arab Americans on WNZK AM 690 Radio in Detroit and on WDMV AM 700 Radio in Washington, D.C. And now, your host, Ray Hanania. Watch the show live on Arab News Facebook page. And welcome to the Ray Hanania Radio Show broadcast on the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News. It is Wednesday, May 17th. We're going to talk with several guests today about a poll that was conducted by YouGov and Arab News newspaper of Palestinians and their attitudes toward the Nekba and the peace process. Our guests include Tariq Ali Ahmed, the Director of Research and Studies Unit at Arab News, who oversaw the poll, which is available at ArabNews.com. Jason Greenblatt, the former White House Middle East envoy for former President Donald Trump and the architect of the Abraham Accords. He's now Senior Director for Arab-Israeli Diplomacy at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs and author of the book, in the Path of Abraham, which chronicles the path to the Abraham Accords, available at many bookstores or Amazon. And Yossi Meckelberg, an associate fellow at the Middle East and North Africa program at the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Chatham House. He is also the director of the International Relations and Social Sciences program at Regents University in London, where he has taught since 1996. But first, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back right after these messages with our guests. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. In a perfect world, everyone would be a perfect driver. Hands at nine and three, everyone. Nine and three. Everyone would follow all the rules. Please, go ahead and merge. I'll make room. Thank you, fellow driver. And nothing unexpected would ever happen. Even the squirrels would know the right time to safely cross the road. In this perfect world, you wouldn't have to wear a seatbelt. But in case you hadn't noticed... <laughs> We don't live in a perfect world. About a thousand people in Michigan die each year in vehicle crashes, and thousands more are injured. Wearing your seatbelt reduces your risk of death in a crash by 45% in a car and by 60% in a pickup truck. So until we find a perfect world to drive in, make our imperfect world safer by buckling up. 
a message from the Michigan Office of Highway Safety Planning. Ziad Brand, quality products from our family to yours. Ziad Brothers Importing offers the finest quality products, including brands like Sultan, Kraft, Nestle, Hook, Rico Picon, Donna, and many more. Ask your retailer to carry these fine products because you deserve the very best. For more information, visit our website at www.ziad.com. That's www.ziad.com. Ziad, quality products from our family to yours. And now I'm with uh, Tarek Ali Ahmed. He's the director of the research and studies unit at Arab News who oversaw the polling of uh, nearly a thousand Palestinians in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Uh, Tarek, welcome to the program. Thank you, Ray. Thank you. A pleasure for me to be on the program with you. Absolutely. So, so my understanding is the poll is conducted on Arab News's behalf by YouGov, which is a British polling agency, which is the has a margin of error uh, and is nine includes nine hundred fifty three respondents. Is that enough of a sample, you think, 953? Seems a lot. Well, Ray, the thing is, is more looking at to the quality of the sample as opposed to the, the size of the sample. Um, within the sample, we have a broad range of people, uh, Palestinians from both the West Bank and Gaza. We have a broad range from people from 18 years old up until above 45. We have people that are employed, unemployed. Even within that, we have a bracket of how much they earn as well as being uh, where their education level is. So it's more about the, the quality of the sample of people that are that are involved in the surveying to get a real justified uh, voice of the, of the people and of the Palestinian street. So yes, I believe 953 is, uh, is a good sample. How do you ensure that the sample is representative in such a study? I know a lot of people always have questions about polling, but uh, what was the male to female ratio, the age of the sample? Do you think it was representative enough to reflect the attitudes of Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza? Thank you, Ray. And I believe that's a, that is a very fair, very fair question to ask. Uh, essentially, as I mentioned before, um, we have a broad range of respondents in Palestine, both from the West Bank and Gaza. Um, a, a large amount of male to female, male and female respondents, um, close to fifty-five percent to forty-five percent. So. I believe that it is a a a justified um, amount of people that have given their voice to this. And let's not forget that YouGov is a world-renowned polling agency that has worked with governments, that has worked with uh, institutions and think tanks all around the world. So uh, they are very well 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 reputable and know exactly the kind of key uh, people that we need to reach out to in order to answer these questions. So in the sense that the respondents of um, the survey do carry um, a generic generic and justified uh, voice of what Palestinians on the ground um, want. You know, having uh, looked at the study um, that uh, YouGov did with Arab News, am I, is it correct to assume that Palestinians see a lot of hope in this? I mean, a majority don't believe peace is attainable by neither their own government nor Israel. Is that an accurate assumption? I mean, do, do they see much hope? Uh, well, alas, they do not, uh, Ray. I don't think that, I think one of the main things we found from the survey itself is that the Palestinians lack any confidence in their leadership, if anything. They, 76% uh, 
believe that um, don't believe uh, that their government is able to successfully negotiate a peace deal with Israel. 63% of those polled as well think neither Fatah nor Hamas represent them. So there is a, a there is a very much a lack of confidence or a lack of trust within Palestinians towards their own government. Now that being said, um, that there are a lot of other aspects within the survey that we will touch upon later. Uh, do give um, um, a silver lining to the Palestinians. And I noticed that one of your stories relating to the coverage of this uh, poll of Palestinians um, that think that uh, says, think younger Palestinians care about their cause? Well, not according to the data. What does that mean and what observations have you made about that, about the attitudes of younger Palestinians that participated in the poll? Well, uh, Ray, the, essentially, this is when we looked at the first, very, very first question of the survey, which is, what do you think the best solution to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict is? Now, the majority of uh, Palestinians voted, 51%, that is, voted for a two-state solution. Now, among those, 49% of those, or 42, sorry, percent of those were within the age bracket of 18 to 29 years old, while 63% of those were within the bracket of 45 uh, and above. So that shows that uh, uh, younger Palestinians are less inclined to go with a peaceful solution in the sense that they're less inclined to settle for the two-state solution. They are more inclined to want to rebel and gain their rights and vote and call their uh, call out any misgivings or any 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 violation to their own uh, to their own rights. Uh, while 63 63%, which is the people that are above 45 years old, are actually more inclined to want to settle for a peaceful solution, want to settle for um, for ending violence or ending any kind of clashes or conflict. They would like to just get on with it and live their lives. And an interesting observation here is the fact that while Palestinians see the U.S. as having the most influence over Israel, America is actually the least trusted to be a fair media- mediator. This is kind of a catch-22 situation, isn't it? Well, if you think about it, you can think about it as a cash 22 situation. I would look at it personally as something that makes more sense. When you have the U.S., which has been one of the lead mediators of peace between Israel and Palestine, with looking back at the Camp David Accords, the Oslo Accords, Abraham Accords and whatnot, um, U.S. has the most influence over Israel. And given the, the trajectory of how the peace uh, negotiations over the years between Palestine and Israel has gone under their watch, it makes sense that the Palestinians are least trustworthy of them, with a total of, I believe, it's 59% uh, voted uh, U.S. as the least trustworthy um, mediator uh, among them. What's most interesting is seeing Russia, which was the highest ranking among right, um, was, among uh, Palestinians. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask you, studies suggest China and Russia are more trusted by the Palestinians. What What do you think are the factors that contribute to that feeling among the Palestinians? Well, Ray, as I said before, regarding uh, the U.S. Uh, having having had a long run at trying to mediate peace between Palestinians, Israel, Palestinians and Israelis and failing to do so. And as actually our editor-in-chief mentioned in an interview on CNN, insanity, the definition of insanity is repeating the same thing over and over and expecting a different result each time. So as we've seen from actually the most recent um, groundbreaking negotiations between Iran and Saudi Arabia that were brokered 
by China, um, the Palestinians maybe are seeing more of a, a more of a, a better looking at alternatives that could actually help with this. We've seen that even 80% of Palestinians would welcome a Chinese-led initiative uh, to help broker peace. So that shows that the Palestinians are eager to try new outlooks or new asp uh, new uh, perspectives to um, the negotiations as opposed to sticking with the U.S. And of course, the Chinese are very successful with uh, you know bringing Iran and and Saudi Arabia together. That's pretty significant. Two, I, I mean, people look at that and say, look, two. Uh, nations that have been in conflict so intense, uh, how is that different from Palestinians and Israelis? So maybe that might be, uh, wow, if they can do that there, they could do that, uh, you know, in the West Bank and uh, in Israel. That's interesting. And finally, this isn't the first YouGov poll Arab News has conducted. Get, can you give us a little rundown on some of the prior studies that, that the Arab News and YouGov poll did together in the past? Well, we've done quite a lot, actually, uh, Ray. We've done um, around it's over 10 polls uh, with YouGov. Among them was looking at what Arabs want out of the 2020 U.S. elections. Uh, what Another one was how British people view Ar the Arab world, even how Arabs view Japan. Um, we've uh, Again, we've worked with YouGov a lot recently, uh, specifically on uh, looking at what the people of the Arab world want with regards to the geopolitical situation. Our most recent survey before this actually was looking at the uh, looking at the Russia and Ukraine war, where we looked at what Arabs, where Arabs stand. And a majority of them, funny enough, stand right in the middle. They do not want anything to do with the war. They don't want anything to do with the conflict. If anything, they want what they want from their countries is to try to try to try to hold a diplomatic mediator position between Ukraine and Russia, given the close ties that um, the Gulf and the Middle East has towards both Russia and Ukraine. So these are this is among, uh, among some of the few um, polls that we have done ourselves with YouGov, but um, I'm sure that there will be many more to come and more to look into. All right, our guest uh, today, Tarek Ali Ahmed, director of the research and studies unit at Arab News, who oversaw the poll between Arab News and YouGov on Palestinian attitudes toward the peace process and the current conflict. Tarek, it's always a pleasure talking with you and to have you on our radio show. We appreciate it. Thank you very much, Ray. It's a pleasure to, have on, to be on. All right, everybody, stand by. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, meet our next guest. I'm Ray Hanania. We'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Were you recently at the emergency room? 
urgent care or at your doctor's office being told you need a hand, wrist, or elbow specialist? At the Katranji Hand Center, we offer the latest techniques in hand, wrist, and elbow care. From sports injuries to work injuries to everyday hand, wrist, and elbow problems, the specialists at Katranji Hand Center are here to get you back on track. Call us in Troy today at 248-869-4263 or visit us at katranjihandcenter.com to schedule your appointment today. Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali Abagdadi and Fatty Bottom serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali Abagdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in our authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all CDC guidelines and is open every day, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Ishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. And now I have Jason Greenblatt. He is the former White House Middle East envoy for former President Donald Trump. He was the architect of the Abraham Accords, and he's now a senior director at the Arab-Israel Diplomacy at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. And he also, by the way, is the author of the book, In the Path of Abraham, which chronicles the path to the Abraham Accords, which is available at any bookstore or at Amazon. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. I appreciate you doing this. Um, you know, it's always kind of contentious, the Middle East, so there's never a happy moment, it seems. But um, I sent you the YouGov Arab News poll that marks the 75th anniversary of the Nakba, which found that the majority of Palestinians don't have any faith in their leadership's ability to strike a peace agreement. But it also found that most Palestinians don't even identify with either Fatah nor Hamas. Do these findings surprise you at all? Well, the first one certainly doesn't. Um, there are some things in the poll I obviously disagree with, given you know my perspective as a Jew, as a proud Israel supporter, as a friend to Palestinians, as a friend to many Arab countries. But that that specific issue doesn't surprise me. I think the Palestinians are very smart. They realize that their leadership has failed them. The leadership in Gaza, who I view as terrorists, just subjugate the Palestinians, the nearly two million Palestinians who live there who suffer because of that leadership. And the leadership in what I would call Judea and Samaria, what your viewers and listeners probably call the West Bank or something else that I wouldn't say, um, I think they recognize that they've been failed. They have a terrible economy. Their lives just continue to get worse and worse. There's no road to peace. There's no road to a better future. When we go back to the poll, they don't have any confidence in the uh, their leadership. They don't have any faith in... Uh the ability to reach a peace accord. Um, what choice, though, do you think the Palestinians have? Is it not like there's a, it, it's not like they have an upcoming an election where Fatah and Hamas have garnered so much power that it's almost impossible there would be any other leadership emerging. It doesn't seem like they have a choice uh, moving forward for them in their own community. No, it is very unfortunate for them. I speak to my Palestinian friends constantly about this. So, of course, those in Gaza really have no choice whatsoever. Anytime they pick their head up and try to say something, it's a disaster for them. Those in the West Bank obviously have it better. I mean, the freedom 
to speak is much more limited than it would be for me as an American, for you. But they can definitely say certain things, but at the same time, it becomes challenging for them with their friend group. It becomes challenging for them socially. It becomes challenging for them business-wise. So they are in a very tough spot. That said, President Abbas is quite elderly. He's in his 80s. He seems to be quite healthy. I know there are always scares, you know, what, how long will he remain in office? Nobody really knows that. But my hope and the hope of most of my Palestinian friends is at some point, there will be new leadership. President Abbas will eventually step aside. And then the question becomes, will it be leadership that's pragmatic, that wants a better future for the Palestinians, that could lead them to something that they deserve and that's incredible? Or will it be the same old, same old as it's been for over seven decades of missed opportunities, of corruption, of inability or just complete lack of interest in improving their economy, even while not giving up? on what they view as the Palestinian cause. Nobody knows the answer to that, but I'm uh, I'm a big believer in hope. The uh, Arab News YouGov poll found that many Palestinians, of course, blame the Israelis for provocations that they th as the main reason. And then it seemed the second problem they blame uh, for all this is that the, uh, that the U.S. has a bias and I think when you look at it further, it, it says that the in the third place, it's mistakes of their leadership. Do you think that there that the Israeli leaders have some of the blame in all this, as some of the Palestinians think? I think to some degree, uh, one could argue that effectively, but I, I don't agree. The poll, you know, suggested that a right wing government in Israel, including Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, would not be capable of achieving peace. Look, Benjamin Netanyahu and I think alike in terms of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but I will tell you that under the right circumstances, with all of the right positions being discussed and negotiated, he is a man who could achieve peace. But it's not going to be the peace that the Palestinian leadership and so many others around the world had promised the Palestinians for over 70 years. Uh, if the Palestinians could understand that and sit down at the table in a meaningful, good-faith manner, I think a right-wing government is actually the the kind of government that can achieve peace. Do you think uh, the U.S. is biased towards Israel? So I'll answer it a little bit differently. I, I wrote about this in my book. There is no such thing as an honest broker. The U.S. is biased for U.S. interests. Whether those U.S. interests mean that they're biased towards Israel, yes, I would argue that. Although we've given as a country billions and billions of dollars to Palestinians and depending on the president, in this case, I'll speak about the Biden administration. There are many policies that President Biden has uh, has effectuated and President Barack Obama before President Trump have effectuated towards the Palestinians, where I would say we were biased towards the Palestinians. But there are very few countries in the world, at least countries that play on the big stage, who are not biased towards one side or the other, but again, looking through the lens of that country's side. I noticed in this YouGov poll, it was a very interesting finding that many Palestinians believe Russia could play an outsized role in this, a, a good role. You know, let's think about that. Russia, with the war in Ukraine, and most people are against what Russia is doing in Ukraine, the attacks, the invasion, uh, the you know, the death and the destruction. If that's the country that they're relying on for peace, I don't think we have a, a prayer, a shot at all of achieving peace. They speak about China. Well, look, uh, reluctantly, I'll congratulate China for what they've achieved between Saudi Arabia and Iran. We'll see how that goes. We'll see where that goes. But, you know, they played an effective role 
and perhaps they can play a role in terms of Israeli-Palestinian peace. But most people would agree that it's the United States and the United States alone that could truly play a role in achieving a comprehensive peace between Israel and the Palestinians if, it's a really important word here, if one is achievable at all. Is it possible that China could do that with the Palestinians and the Israelis, or do you feel that it has to remain with the United States? Well, I never want to say never, but the dynamic is a bit different. China has a really important role with Iran, a tremendous amount of power with Iran, which means they were able to bring the Iranian regime to Saudi Arabia in a way that most countries in the world could not, especially given China's now world power stature. They also play an important role with Saudi Arabia. They're a huge consumer of Saudi Arabian oil. So they came onto the playing field with uh, a tremendous power, a tremendous goodwill, tremendous trust. Um, they don't have that with the Palestinians. There's very little that they do with the Palestinians. And I don't want to say they don't have that with Israel. China is an important partner of Israel. So maybe they have some role to play, but I think the circumstances are quite different. And I know that when we when I uh, go back to the issue of the uh, Palestinians not feeling uh, uh, comfortable that the U.S. is fair, do you think that the Trump administration may have kind of fueled that to be even worse than it was? I mean, as you pointed out, Obama, they felt might have been a little fairer. Um, was Trump, do you think Trump was fair or do you think that his uh, policies like uh, moving the embassy to Jerusalem kind of undermined that ability to get the confidence of both sides to come to the peace table? So I could certainly understand the Palestinian perspective on that, but the reality is they're looking at it from the wrong direction. They need to look at it from what U.S. policy is. So if you want to speak about the embassy and the recognition of Jerusalem, what they forget is that under U.S. law, under multiple administrations in the United States, Congress passed prior, you know, uh, back in the 90s, Congress passed a bipartisan, almost wholly supported law that said Jerusalem is the undivided capital of Israel and we should move the United States embassy. That's in the interest of the United States. That's what Congress wanted. But it took one president, President Trump, who was willing to actually not sign these national security waivers in order to follow U.S. law. So one could argue that that was something that was anti-Palestinian or too pro-Israel. But at the end of the day, however good or bad those arguments are, President Trump was following U.S. law. And I would also argue that he was, you know, being truthful to history, that Jerusalem is important to Jews. It's historically been their capital for over 2,000 years. It's a city that um, has always been a Jewish city. That doesn't mean that Al-Aqsa doesn't exist. That doesn't mean Arabs don't live in Jerusalem. That doesn't mean that I argue that it isn't important to Palestinians and to Arabs and to Muslims and, of course, to Christians generally. I accept all, all that. But when you think about it and you listen, for example, to President Abbas's speech at the United Nations on what the Palestinians call Nakba Day, where he denies the connection between Jews and Jerusalem and Jews in the Temple Mount, you realize that President Trump simply acknowledged truth and fact in history. President Abbas does, uh, denies history, fabricates history, outright lies in the halls of the United Nations. So I think people look at it or should look at it differently. It's not anti-Palestinian. It's not pro-Israel. It's more U.S. policy, what's good for the U.S. and the truth. So the, the criticism is this denial that Jews have no ties to Jerusalem. Um, that that seems a little way out there too, I agree. But 
um, the fact that you do recognize that everybody does have a tie there. I mean, even my own family for centuries lived in Jerusalem and, you know, we're Christian Palestinian. Um, but so you do recognize that everybody has some footing in Jerusalem, some right to be Absolutely. there. Absolutely. And, and really what people overlook about President Trump is if you listen or read the speech that he gave in, in December of 2016, 2017 rather, where he recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Look at the very end of the speech. This was such important language where he spoke about the ties of all the major religions to Jerusalem, to the Temple Mount, Al-Aqsa, to uh, what Muslims call the Noble Sanctuary. And his view was he wants to see Jewish kids and Muslim kids and Christian kids um, respecting those holy sites and others respecting the fact that it is holy to all these world religions. We don't argue, we didn't argue with that. Whereas President Abbas and others like him argue about the Jewish connections, perhaps the Christian connections, but they generally use that to their advantage in terms of their arguments. But they argue about the Jewish connections to Jerusalem all the time. Now, you obviously you played a major role in uh, uh, Abraham Accords, I described as the architect, and in fairness, there were other people helping you. But I, I think when we think of the Abraham Accords, I think of you. Because it was a it was a plan that was spelled out pretty well, um, but when you read the poll, it doesn't seem like a majority of the Palestinians feel that it was positive, that it was a good move, and they even seem to suggest that it may have encouraged Israel to be more aggressive towards them. How do you react to that? Well, first of all, I was lucky to be part of an amazing team: uh, President Trump, Jared Kushner, David Friedman, Avi Berkowitz, so many others. Um, and, and great leadership in the Middle East who helped us or really created the Abraham Accords. Uh, I would say that this is one of the biggest misses of the Palestinian side and the Palestinian people. Imagine what could happen if they embraced the Abraham Accords, the business that they could do, the economy, how it could improve. They need to separate their political aspirations, their negotiations with their economy. It's one of the biggest mistakes that the Palestinian leadership has made over the decades. They could improve their economy, they can make lives better, they could allow so many people to have jobs if they didn't allow themselves to be blocked by their political leanings. Think about it, Palestinians speak Arabic, many of them speak Hebrew, they're very smart, they're very talented. Imagine that they could be the glue to the Abraham Accords, even while there's no peace deal between Israel and the Palestinians. And eventually, hopefully one day there will be. But to walk away from it and stay was, as uh, the late Saab Erkat said, that it was a, a, a stab in the back of the Palestinian people by an Arab dagger. That's the worst thing you could say and the worst thing you could do for the Palestinian people, in particular because these Arab countries have given billions of dollars to help the Palestinian cause. I, I also- I would, Go ahead. Sorry. sorry, just to answer your question. Yeah. I don't think it's caused Israel to be more aggressive with the Palestinians. I think when Israel is aggressive, it's because they have uh, fear of being attacked or they are being attacked. I don't think that they're tying the Abraham Accords to their state of aggression. It so happens that, as is always the case, there's uh, ebbs and flows of violence. Right now we're going through a very, very bad time of violence, uh, of terrorism, and that causes Israel to be more aggressive. But I don't think Israel is being more aggressive because of the Abraham Accords. Do you think it, it it's fair that uh, for them to say, though, that this new government um, has been a little further to the right and these some of the new restrictions, like you couldn't wave a Palestinian flag or um, stepped up uh, increase in the number of settlements. 
Isn't that kind of provocative or is that more of a reaction to what you think is the environment there? I definitely think it's much more of a reaction to the environment. I do think the government is is more right wing. There are certainly some ministers in the government who say things that shouldn't be countenanced. I think that uh, they say hateful things and I don't agree with them. But I think as a whole, the government is trying very hard under challenging circumstances, even having nothing to do with the Palestinians. You have the judicial reform protests, you have all sorts of things going on in Israel. It's a challenging time. And I think that uh, uh, I, I think the view is that this right-wing government is very bad for the Palestinians. I think a certain portion of this right-wing government is, uh, two ministers in particular, and uh, I'm against those statements that some of those ministers have made. And I don't think that people should be focusing on it because I don't think it's what the Netanyahu government as a whole thinks. When you look at the result of the Abraham Accords, have they been as successful as you thought they would be? I think between Israel and the UAE, it certainly has been an enormous success and it will continue to grow. I think between Israel and Bahrain and Israel and Morocco, there's still a lot of work to do, not because the people don't want it and don't support it, but I think it just takes time for things to go through the system. And I think we're gonna see some really excellent things coming out of those relationships as well. As far as, there, as far as whether it's reduced conflict in the region generally, I mean, this is one of the keys to the whole Abraham Accords, which is to say, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is not the core conflict of the region. It might've been decades ago. It hasn't been for many decades already. And the Abraham Accords wasn't designed to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It wasn't designed to resolve what's the terrible, tragic civil war in Syria. It wasn't design, designed to resolve the, uh, the terrible situation in Lebanon. I mean, Lebanon is essentially occupied by the Iranian regime. And this beautiful country of Lebanon is left, is left with almost nothing. It wasn't designed to resolve Yemen. So I think people put more weight and responsibility on the Abraham Accords than is appropriate. It, it did bring down some tension. It can bring down more tension. But at the end of the day, there are lots of conflicts in the Middle East having nothing to do with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And that remains challenging and will be very difficult to resolve. What, what would you say, though, it, then, um that the Abraham Accords were designed to achieve? What they were designed to achieve is friendship, warmth, business, diplomatic relationships between countries that recognize that Israel is part of the community there. Israel can be a, a tremendous ally and friend. Both sides can benefit from each other. This is not about Israel getting tons of money from the Gulf. It wasn't ever about that. It isn't about the Gulf getting all sorts of security items from Israel, though there's certainly some benefit to that. It was designed to show that the time has come to recognize that Israel is their neighbor, can be a good friend, ally, partner. Uh, and I think we have seen a lot of that and we'll continue to see much more. Can it be used to bring more countries in? Sure. Could it be used to help Palestinians if the Palestinians were willing to let that happen? Sure. But it wasn't designed and really has little to do with resolving the Israeli Palestinian conflict other than maybe as a model. And I know that, uh, you know, I was at the Peace and Prosperity uh, conference that they had in Bahrain. I was probably one of the only Palestinians. There were a couple there. I, was, I know I was the only Palestinian journalist covering it. But do you think that uh, that in proposing it, that the Trump administration didn't anticipate how negative the Palestinians would react to it or did they was there an assumption i mean when i talk to other palestinians they'll say this oh they never really wanted us there it was designed to keep us out 
did Trump not do enough? Or do you think did the Palestinians just make these false assumptions about what it was supposed to do? Yeah, I'm there. I'm 100% that they made false assumptions. I mean, they boycotted the event. They rejected anyone who wanted to go. A few Palestinians were able to go. Some were arrested when they came back from the conference, which was just such a mistake. We understood that this is their position. They don't want us to help them with their economy. It was, you know, if I, as you could imagine, working in the White House in such a complex conflict, I had many frustrating moments. But the most frustrating, I shouldn't say the most, among the most frustrating was the Palestinian leadership inability and unwillingness to help us help them with their economy. What they also failed to realize is U.S. taxpayers, not always under President Trump, because he did cut much of the aid to the Palestinians, but U.S. taxpayers foot so many of the bills that the Palestinians have to pay with billions and billions of dollars. It was our job in the White House to use American taxpayer money wisely. If we could improve the Palestinian economy, even if the conflict is going on, and use less U.S. taxpayer money to help people who deserve to be helped, meaning Palestinians, we're going to do that even if the Palestinian leadership throws a temper tantrum and tries to undermine us. It's not about the Palestinians' leader, leadership's poor decisions. It's about helping the Palestinian people in a way that makes sense for the United States of America. Did Trump really do enough? Did did you and Kushner do enough um, to really engage them in that conference? One of my tasks was to do that. But when the leadership closes the door, this is what happens. I, I'll give you a, another example. After my time at the White House, there was a tech conference being hosted in Israel. And I was able to secure tickets for the tech conference because I wanted my Palestinian friends to come there and make connections, try to do business, grow with what they're trying to do for themselves, because some of them were incubating young companies. And of the 40 tickets or 50 tickets I secured, I was able to get only six or eight Palestinians to come. Why? Because they were afraid. They were afraid of what would happen back home with their leadership. So we tried, we try every which way. I still try. I hope to continue to try. My door is always open to Palestinians any which way I could help, but it is very challenging with the leadership in place. All right. Uh, my guest, Jason Greenblatt, he was the uh, former White House Middle East envoy under former President Donald Trump, the architect of the Abraham Accords, and he's now senior director of the Arab-Israel Diplomacy at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. He's also the author of the book, In the Path of Abraham, which chronicles the path to the Abraham Accords, which is available at many bookstores and on Amazon. Jason, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Good to see you. And of course, welcome back. Uh, after that second interview, we have one more interview, but first we're going to take our final break. When we come back, we will talk with uh, our final guest, uh, Yossi Meckelberg. He's a great guy and offers a little different perspective than uh, our guests that we just had, uh, Jason Greenblatt. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. 
Life for Relief and Development has now been rated as one of the best charities for humanitarian aid. Life's humanitarian projects span the globe, and Life is celebrating its 30th anniversary of providing essential life-saving aid to people and communities in 36 countries, regardless of race, color, religion, or cultural background. Where there is life, there is hope. And when disaster occurs here or around the world, including being one of the first responders to the Turkey-Syria earthquake crisis, Life for Relief and Development rushes in to provide food, medical aid, and shelter to those in need. We are looking to help the earthquake victims, and we take 0% overhead on emergency donations. So please help improve these efforts. Learn more about our involvement to help the helpless and bring hope where it's needed most. And make your tax-deductible donation to Life for Relief and Development now at lifeusa.org or call 248-424-7493. That's 248-424-7493. At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. Now I'm pleased to welcome Yossi Meckelberg, an associate fellow at the Middle East and North Africa program at the Royal Institute of International Affairs at Chatham House. He is a visiting professor at the University of Roehampton. Yossi, thank you so much for joining our radio show today. Thank you for having me. Now, as you know, the Arab News and YouGov poll uh, that was conducted marking the 75th anniversary of the Nakba found that the majority of Palestinians don't have any faith in the current Netanyahu ultra-right-wing government's ability to strike a peace agreement. Does that finding surprise you? I think for those of us who follow this this conflict for many years, we are, we, we are not surprised by this. It's good. I think it's the, the, the survey itself is, is really important. It highlighted some really important, poignant issues that bother Palestinians, especially when, you know, commemorating the 70th, 75th anniversary of, of, of the Nakba. But the idea that, you know, we are in a point actually that Israelis don't trust Netanyahu and they are protesting out there in the streets. Why should the Palestinians have any trust in, in the Netanyahu government? He formed the most far-right government in the country's history. Some, you know, he put him in position of power, whether the National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gvir or a finance minister or for some strange reasons also a minister in the defense ministry Bezalel Smotrich they they believe in the annexation of 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 the West Bank they will never agree for a two-state solution and Netanyahu is basically held hostage not that he is exonerated by that by the far right because of this corruption trial so 
No, I was not surprised. And I'm, if I'm surprised that there was actually people, you know, there were even a small minority that trusted Netanyahu at all. The poll also shows very little faith in either a left-wing government or a right-wing government in Israel. Some Israelis might say this is an indication that many Palestinians might not want peace because they don't trust either side. How do you, do you what do you think of that? I, I, I don't think it's... <laughs> Again, part of the survey, and I'm sure we'll discuss it uh, later, that more than half of the population actually support a peaceful, a peaceful solution. So this is not the indication. It is the, the, the feeling of being let down, whether it's left or right. Go back to the times of Camp David and, and Prime Minister Ehud Barak, that according to him, he gave everything and been refused. This is at least the, the, the myth that he developed. He, he builds more settlements, the rate of building settlements that even Netanyahu. So on the one hand, he negotiated peace. On the other hand, what is seen as the main obstacle for peace, continue to expand all the time. So this is an, actually an, an expression of desperation that whether it's left or right, as far as the Palestinians, it all comes to a very a, a right-wing government. But even a more recent agreement, when, you know, we talked about the change government under... Bennett and Lapid. There was no change there when it comes to relation with the Palestinians, because when Naftali Bennett was the prime minister, he said, hey, I'm not going to meet President Abbas, you know, his next door neighbor, and be no Palestinian state under my watch. So what's the difference? And Lapid was sitting there as prime minister, and when he became prime minister for a few months, he didn't change it. So if you look what's left of the left, and it's not even left. That's what's left of the peace camp in Israel. It's, it's minute. So from a Palestinian point of view, you look and what you see is the expansion of settlements, a government that's right now legalizing even the more illegal settlements, the outpost, as if the other settlements are legal. So it looks all the same. It's actually the onus is on an Israeli government, but whenever it happens to come and shows that it's ready to make the necessary compromises for long-lasting peace agreements with the Palestinians. I know the uh, Arab News YouGov poll also shows that Palestinians are always looking elsewhere. They, they see the United States as having the most influence, but not being a fair negotiator. And they seem to be looking towards others, um, as you may have seen in the poll favoring Russia, a certain percentage, favoring China. Is that a major hurdle that prevents movement towards peace? The fact that they are discouraged by the U.S. and they're looking for other leadership that may or may not be able to help them? You know, on this one, yes, there is a need for an, an, an honest broker because this is an asymmetric conflict. You're talking about the state with military might, with economic might, with support around the world, and a semi-state. Palestine, which itself is divided between Gaza and the West Bank and the Fatah and Hamas. So for, it's obvious that the Palestinians and the PA in this sense, we look for support from, from the outside. But I think also in this case, I'm always surprised that the, the PA, the PLO is not more proactive. They need to come with a plan. They need to come with ideas. How do you want us to help you? in the international community. It's not enough to throw the ball to the court of the international community. It's your responsibility. And I agree, there is to a large extent, it's, there is a responsibility, a collective responsibility of the international community. Now, the frustration, I think, with the United States is on the one hand, as, as this Arab News, YouGov survey demonstrates, is that 
everyone believes the United States has the ability to influence the, the uh, to influence Israel, but it doesn't want to do that for its own political reason. You are, you're, you're based in, in the United States, you know domestic politics better than me in the United States. What are the chances either Republicans or Democrats, especially a year and a half before presidential elections, are yeah. going to make any move? Towards trying to influence Israel, but then you know I, I found it actually interesting that so many Palestinians put their faith in, in in Russia. You know, under the current political circumstances, I won't. But it's interesting actually that more and more see China as potential. I don't think it comes with the baggage that some other countries in the EU or the United States come. What seem as a success in in bringing rapprochement between uh, Iran and, and Saudi Arabia, get some, some street credence among the Palestinians. Maybe it's a new dawn. In your column this week at Arab News, you write that Israel's statehood 75 years ago and the coinciding Nepa were inseparable. Yet we see both sides denying each other's experience. Is it possible that it is impossible to bring the two sides together? In other words, they each talk about their experience, but they won't acknowledge the other experience. How do you bring two people like that together? You know, I, I, I take the risk that once again, I will be accused of being an eternal optimist. That's all right. I think, yes, you know, a, in history, all, all conflicts come to an end, one way or another. And we would like to see a peaceful way for it to come to another. I think that's where in the last, definitely since, since 2000 and the collapse, gradual collapse of, of the peace process, People don't meet each other. Israelis and Palestinians, mainly Jewish Israelis and Palestinians, don't see each other. And they stop seeing the, 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 the human side of, of this conflict. And this is, for me, a big tragedy if you try to build what I think in a peace process, the need for a critical mass. For me, the biggest mistake in Oslo, which was, it's an, was an elite, it never thought about we need to build actually the support among the people. Because they thought, we have the ideas, we know where, where to take it, and the people will follow us, and they didn't. So now it's, I think it has to be reversed and to have more grassroots activity to bring people together and also to try to reconcile the narratives. And again, it's, it's interesting what Israel celebrates, of course, it's 75th Independence Day, and for, for Palestinians, it's day of commemorating a disaster, the Nakba. And these two narratives need to work because one, you, have, you don't have one without the other. That's what happened in, in, in 1948. And there should be recognition, as you mentioned, and I mentioned it in my column, for the Israelis, the Nakba never happened. And unless the Israelis, I mean mainly the Jewish Israelis, not, not the Palestinian Israelis, if they don't acknowledge that they contributed to the suffering of the Palestinians, I don't think they can move, over, move, move forward, sorry, and also to see the need to create a situation, not restitution, because this is not going to happen, but towards a fair and just uh, solution for everyone. And it can be done, but it needs the goodwill. It's need to accept that this country belongs to, to both people, but not exclusively. And according to the uh, poll, a majority of Palestinians oppose the Abraham Accords that were uh, put together under President Trump. They see them as empowering Israel's movement to the far right. And it may be the cause, the harsher policies that the Netanyahu government has implemented. Was it a mistake on their part not to go, at least to confront the Abraham Accords, 
when they were unveiled in Bahrain at the Peace for Prosperity. I, I, I can understand Palestinian opposition of the Abraham Accord because the, the initial response was, we are going to be sidelined. And on this one, they were right. And I think I remember at the time when I was asked about the Abraham Accord, we all want to see countries normalize their relationship. That's, that's better in international relations than not normalize relations. But I think in this sense, we should go back to the, the, the Arab initiative, the Saudi initiative of 2002. Normalization is better followed by, by peace agreement with the Palestinians. Now, there were two options back when the Abraham Accord was signed. One is that it would create a momentum of peace and Israel will feel more secure because the idea everyone around us is against us and want to destroy us is not valid anymore. Israel is peace with Jordan and, and with Egypt and normalization with, with the UAE and Bahrain and Morocco, even Sudan. So in many ways, it leaves most of its border actually peace borders. And there is no real strategic threat unless you look into Iran and the, and, the, and, the, and the Hezbollah that can be seen as one potentially. So it should have instilled confidence in also making progress with the Palestinians. So this was one option. The other option, which sadly that's what happened, Israel became complacent and arrogant about it. Why do we need to actually make any progress on the Palestinian issue? There is no rush. And that's what we, we see today. And this brings me to your other question. I think the Palestinians need to be, to be proactive. They can't wait for the world to solve it because the world is moving in other direction. If you look at the priority, you know, it's where you sit in the United States. I see it here in, 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 in London. And in this sense, I, may, I still may call London Europe. It's, it's the priority is different, whether it's Ukraine, we had Brexit here, cost of living without really proactive. And it's just to start with some unity among Palestinians and the divisions between Fatah and Hamas and between Gaza and the West Bank weakens them. So they need to find a way, A, to unite forces and B, to come with a plan, say, that's what we expect of the world to do because there is commitment going all the way to resolution one and one and so dozens and dozens of resolution that support two-state solution. And then finally, of course, uh, Israel has, the government has been going through somewhat of a constitutional crisis and an unprecedented protest that we saw, you know, over the past few months. How do you think this might impact the peace uh, process with the Palestinians? Um, is it, or has this constitutional crisis pushed the Palestinian issue way down to the side? Yeah. I can tell you what's my fear and what's my hope. My fear is exactly what you, you suggest, my push it to, to the sidelines. And I, I, I visited there and, 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 and went to, to observe and participate in the protests a month ago. And, you know, the Palestinian issue is, is, is hardly mentioned. And when I write in, in, in the newspaper, there's people tell me, don't write about it. You need to keep the, the soft right part of the about about uh, the, the coalition against the government, the coalition against the, the judicial overall. So this is this is one side of that. But my, my hope is actually it will start people thinking that actually there is a direct connection, direct link between the occupation and the erosion of Israel democracy. For now, most Israelis refuse to see that, that you can't have your nice, cushy, a, a democracy on one side of the green line 
and harsh oppression on the other one. And the same courts will treat some people in one way and other people in a completely different way. This is, this is what erodes Israel democracy since 1967. So I think it, the other thing which makes me a bit hopeful is, hey, people are ready to go to the street when it's right to do so. And I also hope we, we, we talked in Israel for many years about, about the crisis in leadership. And I hope that out of this, and I, I heard some of the leaders of this, of this demonstration that organically would emerge or will emerge a new leadership that will be able to see the connection between, between the occupation and, and, and the anti-democratic tendencies within Israel. So this will be the case, uh, best case scenario. Can I guarantee it's going to happen? Unfortunately not. My guest, Yossi Meckelberg, an associate fellow at the Middle East and North Africa program at the Royal Institute of International Affairs at Chatham House and a visiting professor at the University of Roehampton. He's also a columnist who writes often and very inspiringly, I might add, at Arab News. Yossi, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And of course, uh, those were three really fascinating interviews. Uh, Tariq Ali Ahmed, uh, who gave us some insight uh, into the uh, YouGov Arab News poll. You can go to ArabNews.com. They got a big section there. Um, you could read the results. You could see for yourself. Um, and it was interesting to get, uh, you can only understand these issues when you hear both sides. I know some people might say, well, you, you were too nice to uh, Jason Greenblatt. In all honesty, Jason Greenblatt was very respectful. I don't have to agree with him on everything, but I'm not going to be disagreeable. And I think that that's so important in order to understand the facts and to understand the issues. We need to listen to each other, whether we agree or we don't agree, refrain from violence and name-calling. Uh, name-calling, I think, is a kind of form of violence in a way, rhetorical violence. And we need to listen and hear. And then you put everything together. And I think it helps explain what some of the problems are. Tarek did a good job of giving us a basis on the poll. And again, uh, the YouGov and Arab News poll. And I suggest you go there because it is fascinating uh, what Palestinians believe. Uh, listen to Jason Greenblatt. He made some good points. And like I said, I don't agree with everything he said. Um, but the point is that that is the reality that you have to address and you have to deal with if you're going to achieve a peace. Um, and this is one of those complicated situations. Yossi Mickelberg is a phenomenal writer uh, who I know and I've spoken with many times. And he kind of offers a counterbalance. And when you put the two together... I think it really offers a pathway forward to understand what's really happening there. And when you understand what the issues are, you can find solutions. You can't find solutions if we're yelling, um, if we're, you know, uh, denouncing each other and we're not listening to each other. Um, so I hope you enjoyed the program today. You can get more information on all of this by visiting the ArabNews.com. You can go to ArabNews.com slash radio show to get the podcast for this and other episodes of the Ray Hanania radio show. We do this every Wednesday at 5 uh, p.m. Eastern. We're broadcast live in Detroit and WNZK AM 690 radio and also in Washington, D.C. on WDMV AM 700. And of course, we're streaming live on Facebook.com slash Arab News. 
um, the Facebook page of the Arab News newspaper. You can get information on me by visiting hanania.com, and I encourage you to read our stories at arabnews.com and also my columns. I'm Ray Hanania. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to us. We will see you next Wednesday when we bring you another episode uh, that looks at Arab American and Middle East issues. I'm Ray Hanania. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.